Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, now we ask you by your Holy Spirit who's with us right now to help focus our thoughts and settle our hearts, Lord, and direct our attention to what's most important now, not all the stuff going on in our lives. They're busy and some of them chaotic and jam-packed full of challenges that will be, the, be here and be there uh, when we get out of church. And we pray that um, you'd clear the deck, soften our hearts, increase our faith, and draw us into this truth that can set our hearts free. Talking about the blind man, God, and we know that uh, the story's usually more about us (laughs) than the person in the text. And so we pray for eyes that can see and ears that can hear and a heart that can understand. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we've been talking in uh, Mark chapter 10 about the theme of discipleship. And so let me help you with that slide again. Uh, What we've been calling Christian Discipleship 101, Mark chapter 10, five different incidents with Jesus uh, that have five different um, flavors or themes, but really the overarching thing they have in common is how Christ followers think and value and speak and live how they can be good disciples, and thus the word discipleship is training you to now live and think and act in line with the new creation you have become. If any man be in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, their new creation, the old is gone. The old is the way you used to respond, the way you used to speak, the way you used to think, the way you ordered your life. All of that is gone, and there's this new life Following Christ in the way that we do that is called discipleship. And uh, nothing shows us what discipleship is more than the five stories in the book of uh, Mark chapter 10. It began with the Pharisees saying, hey, can we divorce our wives for any reason at all? So the idea was, you know, marriage is kind of, if you had a frivolous uh, reason, it was okay. And and Jesus said, no, Christ followers value marriage differently because we believe God has brought this union together and the two become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one just frivolously pull apart. And then, of course, it went to children and the disciples are the ones in the hot seat who are not getting it, the importance of children. In the world, it's like they're just kids, you know. Oh, and kids are resilient, And then if they get in the way of our our lives, sometimes, worst case scenario, children, babies are done away with, right? But he says, 
Christ followers, the little ones are important and don't hinder them, right? And so the third one was lordship, what drives your life? And the rich young ruler was a perfect illustration that he, he couldn't find his way to God because he loved money more than the master. And the Lord has to tell us, you can't serve two gods. You can't have two masters, you know? You can't be in the rat race making it all about yourself if you're a disciple, you see God's kingdom first, then all the other stuff, it'll all fall into place. So see the difference between how the world thinks about these things that are important. Marriage, family, babies, money, and then he gets to ambition. And, and two of his disciples again, a Nazi, saying, you know, uh, we want the positions of honor, even if it means climbing on these uh, heads of everybody else. And so they said, uh, we want you to be reigning, and my brother here, he wants seat number one, and I'll take seat number two kind of thing uh, in heaven. And Jesus just had to slap him down and say, you know what? It, God's view of greatness is the person who's great at serving. The person who says, everybody is here to be served by me. I am everybody's slave. And so that was a real reversal, wasn't it? The world's all climbing the ladder and look at this and the stretch limo pulls up and the world looks in to see who's being driven and Christ looks in to see who's driving them and says, you guys are focused on the wrong person. It's the servant that catches God's eye. Wow. So all of these adjustments, you know, for the new life. And then finally, now we've arrived at our fifth story. And it's a bit surprising, the lesson there. He's going to open the eyes of a man who is blind. And he gets up and he follows only because he's had his eyes opened. And, and here's the deal about um, following Christ is you have to have your eyes open, right? Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And so this healing of blindness is really a statement about all of mankind, right? So uh, let me show you what I'm talking about here. We're gonna read a story about this blind beggar, which has ramifications for you and for me. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is son of Timothy, or Timaeus, uh, there in the Greek, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. And by the way, Matthew says those leading the way rebuked him. The disciples are rebuking him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouts all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. 
throwing his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet and comes to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, teacher, I, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith in me has enabled you to be healed. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You can't be a disciple unless your eyes are opened and then you can follow Jesus, right? That's really what we're gonna be talking about here. And now, as we get settled, you can leave the text as a whole up there, but wouldn't it be easy if all it took was one touch and bam, our eyes are open, end of story, but it's not that way at all. All Jesus' miracles, physical, physically speaking, all speak of something greater because Jesus didn't come primarily for a ministry to disabled people. The disabled people that he heals, all of those maladies speak of the greater thing. Jesus said, it's not about uh, raising up uh, lame people or opening the eyes of somebody born blind. He said, you guys are gonna do greater things than that because with the gospel, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're gonna, get, you're gonna share the gospel in eyes will be open that will never be shut again. The ears that are unstopped and can hear God's voice will never be closed again by death. And those you raised to life aren't gonna have to go down that road again. Poor Lazarus. He had to die twice, you know? He had to get sick and he had to hear the doctor say, it doesn't look good. It's like, yeah, I know, I've heard this before. <laughs> Terrible, but the greater thing, and I'm not discounting that God can do whatever he wants, and he does do miraculous things, but that's not the point. It's healing the body that is gonna perish and is a temporary. He says greater things, and so that's what he's talking about here. The blind eyes are our eyes, the eyes of humanity that are blinded by sin and darkness, and so this uh, is what he's talking about. And wouldn't it be nice if that's all it took? Bing, the eyes open up and done. Well, no, let me tell you why. Not so easy. So if you roll back the tape to Mark chapter eight, I'll remind you the disciples are not getting it. And so Jesus says, hey, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And uh, John elbows Peter and says, see, I told you we should have brought the bread. And Jesus says, oh my word. What is wrong with you guys? Are you still so dense? He says, and here's what he says. He says, don't you, don't you shut off your, your cell phone? <laughs> Were you not listening at the announcement time? That's what he says right here. Here's what he says. Do you not understand? Do you? Here's what he asked him two chapters ago. Do you guys have eyes, but you don't see? Ears, but you don't hear? You know what the answer to that question was? Yes. They have eyes, but they're blind. And then right on the heels of that, he does something as a sermon illustration to that point by healing a man of blindness, but it took two touches. All right, so Jesus touches him. He says, I, I see people, but they're like trees. Something's wrong. I don't see clearly. And then he says, okay, come on back. 
And he says, oh, now I see clearly. Ah, oh, it was a sermon illustration on what he just said. Disciples get their eyes open, but you will always need reawakenings, fresh touches, because our default mechanism when you're not hearing the word, when you're not in fellowship, when you're not in obedience, when you're not walking with the Lord 24-7 aggressively, your default mechanism is darkness. It goes back to the shadow lands and you're not clear and suddenly you're lost again. Lower case, you don't lose Jesus or your salvation, but you certainly can lose your way and need the lights to get turned back on again. And so let me just give you evidence before we dive in because they're constantly showing evidence that the lights went off again in the disciples' lives right there, you know? So Jesus predicts his death and Jesus says, and Peter says, God forbid uh, God forbid, oh, there must be another way. That's not gonna happen. We'll all get around you in. And Jesus says, get me behind you. Get me behind you. See, King James, it's a problem. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. That's what he was trying to say. <laughs> Why? Because uh, Peter's having a glaucoma moment. Right, he's, he's got cataracts, right? But, so he just sees this is a bad thing and Jesus says, no, it's actually a good thing. What's wrong with you? I've been telling you over and over again, right? But he's having a, a, a dark period there and it goes on. The Samaritans bar them from the shortcut and what do they say? Hey, do you want us to call down fire and destroy them? And the Lord says, no, <laughs> let's not do that. How about we just love them? What's wrong with you? He says, what do we have in common? That's what he says to James and John, sons of thunder. Should we just insincorate them? If that's even a word. <laughs> They're having darkness. All right, and so then just last week, you wanna talk blind? You wanna talk darkness? Last week he says, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna pull out my beard. They're going to flog me and then kill me. And James and John said, can we sit next to you in heaven? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that there's more than one blind person in this story. In fact, the blind person is the one least blind. And the ones who are seeing and leading the way are the most blind. And so the story that you're asking yourself, the question I should say, that you're asking in this story is, if you're an unbeliever here, am I blind? Am I missing something? Is there really a Jesus? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Am I blind? Do I need my eyes open? And if you're already a believer, the question you're asking yourself is, have I slipped back into some kind of shadow land where I've got my feelings hurt or there's a conflict of interest or I'm really struggling with something and am, am I blinded a little bit? Because that question will be at the end, Lord, I want to see. And that's gonna be kind of the point whether you're an unbeliever or a believer. At the end, it would be nice to be thinking, Lord, 
I want to see. Now, this text that you're staring at divides quite nicely into three distinct observations really going to serve as our talking points here, and it's brought to you by the letter C. All right, so verses 46 and 47 are going to be the condition of the man uh, before he meets Jesus, the condition, and then the next couple verses will be the call of Christ. Wow. The call of Christ. And then we'll wrap up with the last two verses, uh, the consequences that await all of those whom the Lord our God will call. So let's dive right in and look at that condition of the man, the condition of humanity, as the Bible likes to say, the condition of the, the disciples. I'm gonna go ahead and show you. Yeah, go ahead and put those verses on. Now, I've told you that just in time for you to ask you to show another slide, but hold on. Because the disciples really in this story are blind. They don't see the importance of outreach to uh, somebody in a lot of need who, who has faith and is expressing faith and wants to see Jesus, but they are the hindrance to bringing him to Jesus. And that can happen. So that's why I say the condition of this man, the condition of humanity. Let me show you a verse in Isaiah, then we'll dive in right here. The Lord says, who's blind? but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I sent. Who's blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. The biggest resistance, to the resi resistance for this guy who's sitting in darkness, who's exhibiting faith and wants to see Jesus are the disciples, the servant of the Lord. They're not on the same page with their master. They need to be discipled so that they can see a world the way the Lord sees the world, that they can have a heartbeat for the things that the, their Lord has a heartbeat for, that they would love the people that the Lord loves. That's what discipleship's all about. So let's dive in with this condition here of this man. They're in uh, the village of Jericho. Those of you who are going next month, wow, to Israel, we'll, we'll stop. We're, we're scheduled a quick stop in Jericho. Jericho is at the base of the hill that leads 15 miles south from Jericho. You'll be in Jerusalem. So there's a 15-mile sort of hill from 850 uh, feet below sea level, Jericho to 3,500 feet above sea level. So at the base of that hill, as they start out now for Passion Week, believe it or not, we were already there, those crowds you see in your text, they are Passover crowds once three times a year for three holidays, Passover included, written in the Law of Moses, every adult male 20 and older Jewish was, was to come to Jerusalem to celebrate and worship the Lord. And this is one of them. So th you, can, you need to picture the crowd. They're, they're, they're singing. They're getting the music out and they're getting ready to start singing because right at the, the bottom of the hill before that kind of long climb uh, to Jerusalem, they would sing what, what they called pilgrim songs. And if you read the top of the heading of Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, you will see the label of the songs of ascent, of climbing. It's 
So what they did is to bide the time and probably because it's a hill, you know, they, they are singing songs of worship from the Psalms to get their hearts ready. And so the music's coming out. The priests and Levites would lead the way with the singers, the worship team out front and the disciples because Jesus is sort of leading this way, right? And so this is what's going on. So you have to kind of picture all of this chaos, right? And, and uh, here's this guy, and he's seated by his friends or relatives who lead him to a smart place. What a smart place to be on a road that leads all the pilgrims. Listen, there were about 100,000 uh, people living in Jerusalem at the time, but three million people would visit from points all over the then known world, not all necessarily obviously from that direction, but thousands upon thousands. So how smart is he? During holiday time, they're all singing songs to the Lord that include being kind to the poor. He who lends to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay them. That's what kind of songs they're singing and probably what's on his sign if he's smart, you know? <laughs> You're going to the house of the Lord. You're gonna worship God. Here I am. He has a heart for the poor and here I am on your way to worship the God who loves me and supports me, but the disciples are blind to that. They don't share the heart of their master. Oh, they would have stopped for the rich young ruler, and they did. They were so enamored with him. If he can't be saved, who could be saved? Right? They don't even see him. Blinded. Blinded with the rich young ruler. They don't see what they should have seen in him. And they don't see this guy who's in need. And so there they all are getting ready. And he's hoping, you know, for a few coins. Or he's thinking, well, surely these guys are in a religious mood. They're going to drop a few shekels my way, right? But little does he know that that morning he woke up totally blind. And he's going to go to sleep open-eyed, looking at stars in the sky. Because the God of the universe in a human body is gonna hear his long, wretched voice above the cacophony of singing and praises and hallelujahs, all the hubbub, and he's gonna get God's attention and God's gonna say, you, come here. Can I help you? Wow. Wow. And of course, I'm thinking about me, right? And you're thinking about you. You better be, because this story is not about Bart. This story is about Bart and company. Here we are, friends of Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus hears. He hears Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, but that's not all he's heard. He's been at the gates. He knows what's going on. He's heard everything. He's, his ears are doing double duty, right? because he's lost his eyes. So he's heard what's on the street, and though he can't read and he was denied an education, he's been in synagogue. That's where blind people do well, in church. In those days, there's a heart there for them. So he grew up listening. He knows, and he's connected to dust because somebody said, dude, he has healed a blind guy two chapters ago, all right? <laughs> He might not have put it that way. 
So he's been hearing, he's been hearing, he's read, he's heard a scripture uh, from Isaiah that um, Luke is quoting, Jesus is quoting, the spirit of the Lord is upon me of the Messiah for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see. So this guy's saying, now wait a second. Okay, you can go back. He's healed the blind. He's walked on water. He casts out demons. He raised a dead girl. I'm connecting the dots here. Is this the (laughs) almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor? Is this it? They, They knew, they knew they had the scriptures and they knew that he would be descended from David. And that's why he cries out for the first time in the gospel of Mark, son of David, have mercy. Now, he's a smart guy. He's got a little bit of faith. He's going to make this work. He's saying, I know who you are. You're the one promised who got revealed to David by the Holy Spirit, said King David is going to have a biological heir someday who will sit on the throne and rule the world eternally from his own body. So the Jews were paying attention. Who's related to David? Because whoever is biologically related to David, and that's why Matthew's gospel starts out in chapter one with the genealogy from David all the way 14 generations, 14 generations, 28 generations to some woman in a stall having labor pains and delivering a baby that is related to King David because Mary and Joseph are both related by blood to King David, and he is King David's heir who will sit on a throne forever and ever, and blind, the blind man, sees that. So Jesus is going to say, this guy's seeing. Let's match his inner condition of sight to his outside and make the eyes work as good as his heart because his heart sees and his disciples' heart does not. And so there's just such beautiful things happening. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're related to David. You're the eternal king who will sit on a throne. And I need something from you. I need mercy. I know who you are. I need mercy from you. And so he gets it. He gets it. So he starts shouting and pleading. That would be praying. When you're shouting and pleading to Jesus, that's a prayer. And so he's praying. He's got a chance of a lifetime. So he's a little bit crazy, right? They can't stop him. He's making a scene. He's son of David, son of David, you know. And the more they try to shush him, the more he shouted, right? And so what's up with this? He, He senses Jesus passing by. I can't see him. I don't know. So I'm going to go ballistic. I'm going to fire out like buckshot everywhere because where is he? Is he there? Is he there? I don't know. Hey, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he starts screaming for the Lord because he's sensing he's passing me by. This might be the only time. This might be my only chance. And guess what? It was because Jesus is headed to die on the cross. 
But there's something in him that says, you know, and, and it's true today. If someone hears the gospel and understands it in a solid presentation, why is God obligated to repeat that over and over and over and over all through your life to where you could tell the gospel better to me than I could to you? Why, why is that? Charles Spurgeon used to say, if you hear the gospel and you understand it, why would you put your soul in harm's way a second? Because you're not guaranteed a second from now, right? So this is the kind of thing that's captured this guy. Is this like, I am not letting this moment pass me by. And, and you know what? He didn't have to be convinced. Oh, you're going to like light better than dark. <laughs> you know, the resistance that comes, there's resistance. But it's not going to come from him. It usually does come from the person. You have to convince them and practically, you know, twist their arm. And Oh, you're going to love being a part of God's family. No, he's dying to get in the parade. If only I could see. If only I could walk with everybody and sing praises and climb the mountain, get up to the top and look at those beautiful scenes, knowing that the Messiah is among us, that we're going to Jerusalem to see the temple of God. He doesn't need to be, hey man, come on. You got to give your heart over to this Messiah. No, he doesn't need that. He, he doesn't think his darkness is better than light. And that's the difference between those who come to Christ and are saved, and those who will perish. They didn't think it was a big deal worth being convinced. But this guy, when people get a little bit of faith, they realize what God can offer. As much as you love your sin, you want what God has rather than your sin. Amen? Amen. And so, really, yeah, that's the, the scary, ironic part, of course, is, is that the resistance is not going to come from him, but it's going to come from the disciples. They're the ones who are going to get in the way. Watch this, verses 48 to 50. Many rebuked him. Those who were leading the way, thank you, Matthew, for telling us that, told him, pipe down. He's not interested in you. Do you have any money like the rich young ruler? We'd be really excited if you did, but you don't. You represent a lot of work. When's the last time you had a bath? too, by the way. And no money for your dental work? Come on, man. You know, you're just a lot of work. You're kind of embarrassing, you know? And your voice over and over again, son of David, son of David, you're driving us crazy. Quiet down. We've got religious things to do, something important. We're on our way to the house of the Lord. So shut up. <laughs> that, that's blindness. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, they're blind. So he shouts all the more. He's like, uh, do not shush me or I'll shout so loud. You know, son of David, have mercy on me over and over again like a madman, right? And then Jesus stops. Well, let's, let's talk about this here. So who's getting in the way? It's those who should have been facilitating the meeting, those who would know his heart. So if you've been with someone like the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years, when everybody wanted to kill the woman, they set up and drug her half clothed in front of Jesus and said, she's guilty, we caught her, done. What do you say? 
And he says, I don't condemn her. Anybody want to throw a stone? Make sure you don't have sins of your own. Anybody who saw him being a friend to the sinners, having barbecues with tax collectors and prostitutes, so much so that everybody started teasing him, saying, you know who you are? You're a friend to sinners. And he goes, why, thank you. That's a compliment, because I am a friend to sinners. Anybody who would know his heart as a disciple of the master, if the master's heart is for the Mary Magdalene's of, of society, that he could turn into the first witness of the resurrection. If, our heart, if his heart always goes in the synagogue to the person in need, if they're demonized or have a withered hand. He's always looking for the outcast. He's always looking for the troubled. He's always looking for the sick. You would think in three and a half years when somebody's saying, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah, have mercy on me. But the disciples would go, cha-ching. This is in line with what our master lives for. That's all the guy wants is to do good. And he's healed blind men. And who's ever called him the Messiah like this? Hey, dude, come on. Hey, we're going to work what we can. We're disciples, so we got some strings to pull. So we're going to pull strings on your behalf because he loves guys like you. Come on, stand up. No, no, no. Instead, they're like, shut up. Stop. Jesus got more important things to think about than your problems. Yikes. And so, rule number one, Jesus loves needy people. He loves outcasts. He loves poor. He loves people that we don't like. He loves our enemies. He died for our enemies. He loves the person who hurt you. He loves the person you roll your eyes at. He loves those people. He wants us to call them to him. But we can't call anybody to him when we despise them when they've hurt our feelings, when we're offended and stumbled and hope that something bad happens to them. What kind of disciples is that? The person in the world who seems insignificant and inconvenient is the one God always will stop who has a little bit of faith there especially. That's who rings his bell. And I want to ring the bell that he's been ringing, right? I want to be like him. <laughs> and the crazy part for me is they're on their way to the house of, of the Lord <laughs> when it happens. It's like the guy who says to me, I, I walk out of Pete's and he says, I'm hungry. Guy. Oh, I'm on my way to church, glory to God. <laughs> Excuse me. You know? No, of course not. I don't give uh, beggars money. I never have. But I will. Always offer food. And they take me up on it. I said, come on, in here. Let me tell you, what's your name? You're a person, you're important. Did you know God loves you? Here's a cup of coffee and a scone. But what about on your way to church, rolling your eyes and saying, he probably makes more than I do. <laughs> on your way to church, in the car, being harsh to your wife? Come on. Peter says, you want to know why God's not hearing your prayers? Because you're harsh and rude and sensitive to your wife. And it works both ways. 
There's a lot of reasons on the way to church. One writer said something like, I'll paraphrase it. Sometimes you leave a worship service and you feel kind of flat, right? But what's missing isn't something on the worship team. What's missing is something in your heart. And what happened is, is that the way you're living on the way to the house of the Lord is in non-compliance with the God you're seeking to worship. So for example, Jesus says, you come set with your tithe and your offering, please. And you know you've offended somebody. I want you to deal with it. He says, if you've offended somebody, take care of it or I don't want to deal with you. Matthew chapter five. Leave it. Don't come and expect warm fuzzies from me when you've offended a human being made in my image and for whom Christ died. Leave your offering. The pastor will understand. <laughs> and I will. Because God says, I can't deal with you when you think you can do anything you want on the way. Oh, it doesn't count, but once you get here, you can get all your ducks flying in a, in a Holy Ghost row, whatever that means. I know. <laughs> he says, it's on the way. We're going, the, we're going to Jerusalem to, the worship, to worship the Lord. Shut up. I, I leave it for you to let the Holy Spirit uh, help you figure that out. So uh, this was it for him. This is his moment, and then... Here's, here's the part that undoes me every time. Jesus, the God-man, son of David by human birth, son of God conceived of the Holy Spirit. By him, all things were created. By this man in the praying, he's God. And he's claimed to be several occasions. And he stops. For a voice that's been unloved, stepped on, marginalized by his own disciples don't even see any value in him. And he says, he stops. I just picture sort of, uh, you know, rear-ended uh, collisions. <laughs> you know, Jesus stops and everybody's like dominoes. <laughs> you know, like, what's up? We've got something important going on. What are you stopping for? And you can tell his tone. Oh, he's not happy. He stopped dead in his tracks. And what does he say? Call him. He's not happy. In command form. And so I picture this. The guys are saying, shut up. We told you a hundred times. Pipe down. Be quiet. Be quiet. Come on. What? What is that? What is that? What? 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 Be quiet so we can tell you he wants you. <laughs> That's what we were meaning to say. You need to pipe down so that you can so that you can hear the master calling. <laughs> er, uh, what we meant to say was, oh yeah, the whole parade <laughs> existed. God made sure that he would go by this man before the foundation of the world. He put that guy there because you don't call to Jesus without him having first called you. So it was Jesus who had been calling him his whole life. And it was Jesus who set him there. And it was Jesus who said, no, we need to take this road 
because I've got somebody who's really important to me. And he says, call him. For a guy like me, who didn't get a lot of attention, who didn't have parents, who loved him. They loved him, but they didn't express it. Who didn't have a lot of friends. Who just felt lost. And the moment when this guy's 19 years old and senses God loves me, I don't have to pay for my sins. I've got a God who's calling me so sweetly and forgiving me and wooing my heart. Some loser by the side of the road, by the side of a bar. That's where he got saved. So I always think of that. What was in his heart when they said, hey, cheer up. On your feet. God has stopped everything on your behalf. I remember the joy. I felt like my heart was going to bust open in unbelief that though I didn't get it in life, I had this father now (laughs) that loved me. And so God stops, and he will stop any time there's a cry for mercy. He doesn't just yell out anything, what he needs and what he thinks he needs. He needs provision. He needs more alms. He needs, he's just, just give me what I don't deserve, what I can never do on my own. I'm just, just happy for a touch from you that's of your mercy, you know, so... He says, they say, hey, man, chill out. He's calling. And, uh, you know, they eat a little dirt probably and say, sorry about that. We didn't, we didn't get it once again, <laughs> you know. And so they, they bring him over to Jesus so that they could meet together. And then Jesus asks him a jaw-dropper question. Here it comes. Let's finish up. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumps up to his feet, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says the same exact thing he just said to his disciples, and they are juxtaposed for a reason. So he says to this guy, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I just want to see. And Jesus says, very well, go and see. So the dramatic consequences as we wrap things up here. He discards his cloak. Now, you know, fanciful maybe, but let me just say, the cloak was this big, heavy, nasty, dirty thing, that heavy, where they'd put their, their, uh, collect their alms, their, their money, right? And all their stuff. And so he just leaves his cane or he leaves his tin cup or he leaves all of that. It's like, dude, when God is calling, who needs? I'm going to get a new cloak. I'm going to get a new life. I'm not going to need alms. He already knows what's going to happen. Well, wait a second. If Jesus is who he claims to be and who I know him to be, and he's already healed one blind man, and that's his mission in the, in the scriptures, 
then I'm out of here. I don't need this stuff. And so he just tosses it aside. And one writer said, genuine disciples are always throwing off encumbrances throughout their journey with Christ. Whatever that is, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles grudges and hurts and envy and all of that. And 1 Peter, that was Hebrews 12, but 1 Peter says, so let us cast aside all evil behavior. By the way, it means to throw off a, clo a cloak. So when Peter is saying, cast aside all lying, it actually is the idiom for taking the lying thing off and throwing it aside. So I see a little bit of that. True disciples, when they, they just beeline for Jesus and they get rid of the stuff that could entangle them. <clears throat> and then he, here comes the question that'll take me apart again, that the living God gets a guy like him and says, even though I had 10,000 times 10,000 angels at my beck and call to do my bidding because I'm the Lord who sits on the throne of the universe, I'm here to ask you, sir, what would you like me to do for you? Because I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, to give my life a ransom payment. So what is it you'd like? Now, back up a paragraph. The disciples say, We've got something we want you to do for us. Say please, say, say, please say yes, please say yes. We've got something to ask you. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? This is one paragraph above. Just scroll back. And they, in their blind, selfish ambition, get a no. This is why they're just opposed. And then now we've got a blind beggar who hasn't had three and a half years, and he asked him the same exact question, and he gets two thumbs up, yes. Because one answer is blinded with selfish ambition. The other answer is seeing who I am in my blindness. The reason he's not blind is because he sees that he's blind and needs mercy. And so those two Questions are there, but the real big deal, of course, is turning it all around and saying, no, Lord, <laughs> I appreciate your heart that you're other-centered and that you would go to the cross for me and heap on all my sins of a lifetime on your shoulders. I appreciate that. But what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Now, here, here's the way you'll always get your prayer's answered. When Jesus says to you, what can I do for you? You could say, could you open my eyes to show me how self-centered and rude and insensitive of a husband I am? And he, he'll say yes to that every time. <laughs> yeah, he never answers my prayers. Well, have you ever tried that prayer? Because <laughs> you'll get an answer. Or Lord, how can I be more effective in ministry? How can I serve you in the church? How can I extend and advance your causes? What do you want me to do for you? Show me the things that I need to stop doing. You know, 
help me to have boldness in my faith to share the gospel. Tomorrow, Lord, this is what I ask you said. What do you want me to do for you? Give me a person to lead to you, to share in some way, to just, just kind of to directly or indirectly, just to love on them and make an impact in them. To just give me one tomorrow. I promise you, that's a prayer he will answer. But when you're all about praying, what do you want me to do for you? Fix her. And the Lord is like, can we work on you first? <laughs> but see, the blindness, the blindness comes in. Let me show you two pictures as we're wrapping up here. Here's the blind man, I imagine, you know. He's like, Lord, I want to see. Well, Jesus is like, well, <laughs> actually, you're not very blind at all. So here you go, bam, right? But then, then there's me. And you and this guy, right? So, yeah, yes, we know the Lord. But I'll tell you what, in every disagreement, all three of them I've ever had with Barb, <laughs> I'm that dude. I see all of the problems in everybody else first. And then maybe if God's just pouring his grace out on me, I get one finger pried back a little bit and go, okay, maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm part of the problem a little bit, you know? But you pray, God, rip those fat fingers off of my deceived face. Everybody else, I have got 2020 and so do you on everybody else. Oh, you got it down. But what about you? Ask him, how do I contribute to the marriage problem? What's it like being married to me? And if you just thought, pretty good. <laughs> Let me assure you, I know your spouse. It's not true. <laughs> I'm just talking. You know what I'm saying. There's another illustration. I'm just debating whether to share or not. And Okay. <laughs> so I'm at Borders, what used to be Borders, right? I've told you this before because I really got my goat. And uh, I don't have a goat, but if I did... <laughs> I'm there, and I, I, it was the afternoon on Sunday, and for some reason, we were shopping, and then I went and got a cup of coffee and sat down, and I was eavesdropping because it was a forced eavesdrop. They're talking so loud. It's kind of like, please, I don't want to hear any of this. And then she says to her husband, was it just me, or was Pastor so-and-so off this morning? And I so wanted to say, it's you. <laughs> I don't know you or the church you go to, but I can assure you, darling, it's you, all right? Oh, you can go back to the blind man, the self-induced blind. All right, no, 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 no. I wanted to say, maybe it's because he was shuttling your kids to youth group so he couldn't study, or maybe he was up all night because someone called at 2 a.m. from the casino who just said, I'm drunk and I spent the rent money and my wife locked me out of the house. So that's where he was. So he couldn't give himself totally. He's just, uh, you know, was it just me or am I not going to cut someone else slack because I think I know 
how everybody ought to be up to my standards of greatness. You know, I don't know her and I'm not mad at her. <laughs> you know, it may sound that way. You know what? I heard, I heard for the young, I picture a young man who's mowing the church uh, grass and trying to make it. And she, she, she went on. She went on. And the husband didn't defend him, didn't, didn't do anything. And it was all just picky. Just pick, 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 pick. That's the problem. Stop doing that. That's a blind disciple. That's not Christ-like. We want to cut people slack. We want to think the best of them. We want to put ourselves lower and consider other people better. This is when we're walking in the light, when you can really say, oh, oh, I see. And then you can be the disciple that God has called you and me to be, walking in the light. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we are all, we all struggle, myself included. I think I made that clear that we, we all struggle, Lord, with uh, temporary ins and outs of light and then shadows. Father, we pray that we would have courage to ask, to answer your question with an honest reply. Show us what we need to grow in. So we could be more like you, more effective, more blessed, more freed up, more on fire, more in love with you. We just thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. So the blindness goes away, he sees the light. The first one he sees is the face of the Lord. That's pretty awesome. But you know, if he gets in the parade, he's gonna see in a week the reason why it's okay to have your eyes open. It's the cross, right? So if you're struggling with that, like, eh, I don't want to see what I sense is already not a pretty picture. The cross makes it safe. A, he already knows and loves me anyway. And B, it's okay because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So, so tell us, oh, turn on. awake, O sleeper. Christ will shine on you. And that which was lame and broken and weak will be made whole. So, non-Christian, you're the person, uh, you know a lot. You're here because you're learning and growing uh, of sorts. You enjoy it, but you haven't given your heart to the Lord. Let me assure you, Jesus is close in these moments. He's passing by. Don't let that happen. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. We'll just bow our heads, close our eyes. Christians are praying for you. He's calling you. Are you going to answer back? And the way we do it here doesn't have to be this way, but we just say you can call back by just slipping your hand up nice and high and saying, I, I hear his voice and I don't want him to pass me by. Forever's a long time. <laughs> and so your eyes are open and your, your hand's going up. Is that you? I thank you for raising your hand up to my left and so there's a couple hands here responding. Praise the Lord. So here's the sinner's prayer, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, let's repeat. I'm a sinner. I need you. Please don't pass me by. I need your mercy. Thanks for your blood shed for me. 
I confess to you. I need you. Please save me. I give you my life today. And open my eyes and help me to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. But, oh, Christian, you embroiled in something. You who have a difficulty, you have a decision. Don't trust your own heart, though, because your heart is wicked and deceitful beyond all things. Who can understand our hearts, says Jeremiah 17, 9. Rather, Jesus asks you today, what do you want? What do you want from me? You're going to say, I want to see. I want to see. And he'll show you. He'll show you. It may be the very thing you want to happen. I'm not saying we're always afraid to ask him because we're sure he's going to say no. You know, <laughs> Ask him, ask him. He'll show you. Walk in the truth. Walk in the light. Amen. Father, for these who are struggling, they just there's some shades of darkness and shadows. We've kind of kept our contact lenses on through the night. <laughs> and now things are blurry. <laughs> Will you uh, clear things up for us with a special touch as we yield ourselves to you today? In Jesus' name. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.